Hey, you made it just in time. <gasps> Boy, I sure hope I'm not delayed in my trip due to a foreseeable design issue. Damn, Damn it. it. You're listening to 99.1 FM, Portland Radio Project. This is Greater Greater Portland, and I'm your host, Xavier D. Stickler. And I'm your second host, Jenna Dimmel. And I'm host number three, Bradley Bondi. And uh, today we're going to talk about a very special bus line. And by very special, I mean only very mildly special. Is it the specialist? It's the least specialist. Okay. Well, that's, that's kind of sad. It's as least special as you can be while still being considered anything other than just a regular bus. It's like the bare minimum of what could be considered improved. So what bus are we talking about here? And that is going to be the FX2 is uh, what is considered to be quote-unquote enhanced transit. And we're going to talk more about what that rather flaccid sounding term is and means. But it's basically a better bus than it replaced, which was the standard line 2 between downtown and Gresham. Are these the buses that, they're like the green buses that have like the accordion in the middle, sort of? Yeah. The, the Bendy Boys. The Bendy the Boys. Bendy Boys. Yes, that's exactly what I'm thinking. And um, I think the most important thing to go in with this discussion is that uh, by no means was this a paradigm-altering project, uh, though it was enough to attract a recent protest. <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, almost a year after it opened. Yeah, we see them around town, but there was a protest about them? I didn't hear about that. Yeah, so a small quote-unquote organization, which is really just this one guy on Twitter, Randy, um, staged a protest by parking his SUV in one of the very few sections on Outer Division that has a dedicated bus lane and bike lane. Another business owner came for a few minutes. I went as kind of a a counter-protester and also to see kind of what the opposition to the FX project was. And um, there was very little turnout on the part of Randy's protest. I think that's for a couple reasons. One, if you look at the like ad that he ran, uh, the post that he made to start this protest, you can tell that his uh, his passion is graphic design. The comic sans there really re- really doing a lot to move people over to his his side. Was it like just the comic sans, or was there something else that was really oh the like... whole thing? Oh the whole thing. <laughs> like yeah, the only we... thing that would have made it worse is if he had included a gradient. Um, oh, he should have included a gradient. That would have been so good. A gradient. Oh, that takes me that back been to. That would have hilarious. That takes me back to word art. I love word art so much. There, it, we were we were like one step above that, um, <laughs> and so I kind of went out to, you know, voice my opposition to him disrupting you know vulnerable road users' commutes, but also to get a little bit better understanding of what the objections to this project were, and I think because there wasn't really like a coherent message about what they were opposing, not a lot of people went and I also of the people who were there there was no clear like uniting complaint and opposition so from one person I heard that the bike lanes weren't good enough because even though they're like nominally protected in some segments they're at road level and not sidewalk level and having them in the street um, doesn't leave like a place for a car to be able to do evasive maneuvers 
and can get drunk and it would be easier if it was at sidewalk level which you know i think different bicyclists have different desires for whether their bike lane is at sidewalk or street level but yeah like if you want to say that the bikes aren't protected enough i absolutely agree i don't think like the anti-transit anti-bike advocacy that randy was doing is necessarily the right forum to voice that complaint yeah and also like what does this have to do with the bus I hear a lot of complaints about the bike lane and usage. Yeah, and I think it's largely because there did exist kind of a very poorly maintained bike lane on division before the FX project. And the FX project combined with a local initiative to improve outer division taken on the part of the city brought in bike infrastructure and, and gave it a little bit more of a robust uh, presence like very marginally, um, but a lot of people were in opposition to that. Another complaint was that in order to make the corridor safer and to limit the amount of like head-on collisions and fender benders there are, one of the things that the Portland Bureau of Transportation did and Metro was installed a concrete median down division. So there are very few places where you can just have a turn lane in the center of the road and like turn left across oncoming traffic. Yeah. Um, what they did to replace that, though, is they made most lights on the corridor able to be U-turned at. And um, there was one particular business owner of note, um, Fatima, who <laughs> did show up briefly to the protest and was basically like, yeah, no one shops at my store anymore because they can't make the left, which I'm not particularly convinced that's true. A lot of the protesters who were there, I think the five or six of them basically said, like, we do not believe that, uh, we don't believe the studies that shows that this is a safer road design, which, you know, I don't believe the scientific studies is not necessarily a point you can argue with. And then the kind of like final rallying cry that one of them had is that too many pedestrian crossings were put in across the corridor. And uh, I think that's a really wild position to take because most crosswalks are still 600, 800 feet apart. So if you're in the middle of the block, in order to cross, you know, the 60 feet across the road, you're still having to walk, you know, a fifth of a mile. And the people there basically said like, yeah, that's just the reality and I do it all the time. And we're fairly unsympathetic to the idea that maybe there are people with disabilities who don't have the ability to do that. I think I literally got told verbatim, like, I see people in wheelchairs do it all the time. And the question that no one seems to be asking is like, should we like make people with disabilities have to do that though? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it's, it's very funny to me that they did a protest by parking in the bike lane and the bus lane, but the bike lane, because I, I live near division. I ride it on a semi-regular basis. And from what I've seen is, Folks already park in the bike lane basically daily. Hmm. I've never rode on division and not seen a car parked in the bike lane. Yeah, it's kind of just like we're we're protesting the installation of this infrastructure by like doing what a lot of people do every day to disrupt it. I don't know. I it, you know, again, like I wish I was able to report back a little better faith assessment of this group's protest, but I really don't feel like there's a whole lot to argue with. I think this is just like a group of reactionaries who are reacting to a vague idea that the city of Portland is like under a communist plot to abolish the private car. 
Um, which is like, which is like a commonly held sentiment on the right whenever like transit gets a crumb of improvement. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's the war on cars. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's exactly. Like... Yeah. So, what incentivized the FX2 project despite these protests, or the one protest rather? So the corridor that kind of makes up Inner Powell Outer Division has a long storied history, and I would say it began in earnest with being a major throughway, with the segment being designated for the Mount Hood Freeway. So enemy of the pod, Robert Moses, essentially <laughs> proposed a freeway coming off the eastern end of the Markham Bridge that would go down uh, Inner Division and then Inner Powell later on out to Gresham to help suburbanites commute to and from the downtown job core quicker. This project was ultimately shut down and there's a ton of really great podcasts and episodes on this specifically. We'll probably do one at some point, but the plan was kind of universally panned, especially by the point that planners got around to looking to fund it. It was the seventies and we had a little bit understanding that urban freeways are bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, not to mention that it would have destroyed about 1%, a little over 1% of the total housing stock in Portland, displacing thousands of people and families. Yeah, listeners, you can't see that right now, but Bradley and I, we both made kind of like a sour lemony face, like at the 1% of housing being lost, because, yeah, that's not good. And uh, it came very close to actually being built. If you drive down Powell, like the eastern end of Inner Powell, that's going to be the section that 26 that's west of 205, you can actually see like a lot of very hastily looking small stores and empty parking lots. And those are the areas in which the right of way was actually bulldozed to build this horrific monstrosity. Hmm. And that kind of began with that extra right-of-way and this kind of long history of a desire to get more throughput in this capacity brings us to the late 90s when Metro and TriMet beganing what could they were thinking potentially be a max in this corridor. So again, it would have run on Inner Powell west of 205 and then switched up to Outer Division east of 205. And they did quite a bit of study on this, looked at the economic impact, looked at the cost, and then decided that a max in that corridor was going to be way too much work. Hmm. Coward talk. Oh, absolutely. I think it's kind of a good thing that it probably, you know, didn't move forward with that in the 90s, simply because it probably would have been an at-grade system similar to what we have on the yellow line. And as we'll go into in our light rail episode that we keep saying we're going to do, and we're going to. We will eventually someday. Yeah. So they decide on bus rapid transit is going to be the mode of transportation that they're going to fill in this corridor. And that brings us to the question, what is BRT? Bert. Bert. So what is Bert? So BRT is kind of a sliding scale in terms of the level of amenity and service you provide your bus, but it's generally accepted that in order to be true BRT, you need a couple things. Number one, you got to have dedicated lanes. Why do you think we might need dedicated lanes? Uh, Because I ride the bus from time to time. And fun fact about the bus is it gets stuck behind a bunch of cars and goes very, very slow. Yeah. 
is basically that if you're going to have a bus that's carrying, you know, dozens and dozens of people, the thought is even if you have that lane with only a few buses going through an hour, it's actually carrying more people than a car lane might be. So in order to be BRT, this is probably one of the defining characteristics of it, you gotta have your dedicated lane. The FX has a, a little bit, a little mm. bit on the far east side <laughs> and- Where kind of, it's least needed. Yeah, really nominally effective. So the next thing is transit signal priority, which the FX does have. Transit signal priority is, there are different technologies that are used but TSP is basically the traffic light can knows when the bus is coming and turns green to allow it to go through. The other thing uh, that makes BRT BRT is offboard payment, right? So people aren't having to queue up at the door to drop, you know, their little coins in a machine. Level boarding, which we're going to probably talk about quite a bit in this episode, which the FX doesn't have. Level boarding basically just means that you're able that the bus is at the same height as the sidewalk, so people with bikes or people in strollers or people with mobility devices are able to get on and off uh, without having a ramp have to be deployed, without the risk of tripping, etc. And that is something that even Clark County has. Hmm. CTRAN, in all of its like unambition, is whipping TriMet on their BRT. I think it could be argued that the Vine isn't true BRT either. Oh, but, definitely um, not. But it's better. In the last couple of years, like the planning for the FX, if you talk about, you know, when it was being considered a max, this has been 20 plus years in the making versus CTRAN is pretty much able to get their each Vine line up and running in like less than three or four years. So it's not just stuck in process hell forever yeah no un unlike trimet projects process so, purgatory i guess <laughs> once it was basically established that this wasn't going to be a max and that leaders in the region wanted this to be a bus the hope was to connect it with mount hood community college in gresham with the pcc campus in southeast portland on 82nd and division and I think that's a really good idea. Like students are gonna be tend to be, you know, not have a lot of money. I'm a student. I don't have a ton of money. I ride transit quite a bit. Also, when you're in the PCC system, you're never at just one campus pretty much. Um, during my time at PCC, I think I went to all the campuses except Cascade. You're kind of going all over. So having a bus that is able to connect you, even if you don't like live right off division, having something that's able to like take you from downtown Portland to like outer Southeast, very convenient. But this ended up not doing that. Mount Hood Community College was not connected by the FX because they ran out of money. Yay. <laughs> and something tells me this gave way to more issues upon opening. Yeah. And so, you know, they basically decided it's not going to be a max it's not going to be BRT uh, because we don't have the political capital to give this dedicated lanes. And then even from there, what the original route was going to be was again, outer division, inner PAL. They ended up having to walk that back because that was actually going to be slower than existing service due to how congested PAL is. And so it just basically became the replacement for the line two. However, 
planners at TriMet, I think for understandable reasons, chose to deviate from the Line 2's previous alignment, but in a way that leads to, in my mind, one of the system's biggest weaknesses. A problem that's frankly kind of embarrassing. Yeah, so previously the Line 2 went down division and turned north on 11th and 12th and then went across the Hawthorne Bridge. This continues across the Tillicum Crossing Transit Bridge. It was done along this a little bit more southern route to both serve OHSU and PSU. That sounds like, good. It, yeah, good, understandable decisions, other than it has to cross some railroad tracks. Oh, this is what we alluded to in our cold open. So, not only does the MAX cross at these railroad tracks, but also big Union Pacific trains, which are pulling into Brooklyn Yard. And it's not just the fact that you have a mile or two mile long trains going across the crossing, which could add up, you know, a couple minutes each time. But this crossing is frequently blocked for literally hours at a time. How is this useful? You're like, what is the freaking point? What are we doing here? <laughs> yeah, and it's definitely a problem. I'm... And ideally, we would have like a longer term fix. That rail line desperately needs to be buried, in all honesty. There, there is some planning work on that, but that's years out. Yeah, it's unfortunate that the bus kind of opened with this big of a vulnerability. And buses being late can actually very seriously compound the ability to run the system. Mm -hmm. And that's with something called bus bunching. Hmm. I like the alliteration, but something tells me it's not the best thing as far as urban sustainability. No, it's basically the idea that, like, people, generally speaking, kind of show up randomly to bus stops. I mean, you may be, like, sitting on your couch looking at your phone, deciding, like, when to run out the door based upon, like, the live tracker. That's definitely changed quite a bit. But in especially frequent service, where you don't necessarily have to plan your entire day around exactly what bus you're going to get, um, people tend to show up at stops randomly. When a bus is late, that means it has picked up more people because there's a greater distance between it and the bus ahead of it. The more people it picks up, that means the longer it takes for people to get on the bus, which makes it even later. And that's why it's fairly common to see multiple FXs like following each other if you're standing around OMSI. Yeah, it's notoriously unreliable. And the one right behind it will be empty and the one right in front of it will be crush load. Mm -hmm. I want to talk about opening day. Are we going to talk about opening day someplace? Yeah, let's talk about opening day. Okay, so opening day, right? They had the big, like, they had the big event, right? They had the event in Central Portland, then PCC, and then out in Gresham. It was fun. It was a good time. I got some FX sunglasses that are green. I love <laughs> those. They're great, even though I can't wear them because I wear glasses. I had to... But besides the point, thank you, TriMet. I love the sunglasses. <laughs> um, but there was an issue on opening day, which is the train. The train was an issue on day one. Now, the bus we rode didn't get held up by the train. But behind us, when we were pulling away from the railroad crossing, I saw another bus get stuck by the train. Mm -hmm. Was it an FX2 bus or a regular bus bus? It was FX an FX two. bus. 
no. And like bus bunching on the first day is kind of understandable because you're not going to have like real consistent service. You're, like a lot of people came out to like celebrate the opening of yeah. honestly the only like TriMet transit project that's of any note since like 2016. The issue was like kind of going into this, we knew this railroad crossing was going to be an issue. Like Bradley and I like got to the event because you know, we're absolute transit foamers. Like we got there early, we had like a little posse. And I remember like us saying to each other, do you think it's gonna be an issue? And at the time I was very optimistic that things were gonna be like fine, right? I was very much in the mood to want to like this project. And I do like the project. I think, you know, it has been like tangibly good for the community, but I think what you have to remember is we've paid 200, nearly 200 million for something that is like kind of got us some marginal bike lane improvements in East Portland, is around 10% faster um, and suffers some fairly chronic delays. Well, aside from that, you mentioned how level boarding would come into play. The thing about level boarding on a bus is it's actually very, very easy to do. And TriMet just chose not to do it. And level boarding, of course, is where you have like the bus and the bus stop at the same level. And when the bus pulls in, there's not like a huge gap. And that can be achieved with just like a special curb, like a rounded curb that a driver can like rub their tire on while they're pulling in. And that's what C-Tran did. They have, they're called Kerf Curbs. They just rub the tire along and it gets the bus pretty close to the bus stop, like mm -hmm. only like an inch or two gap. So basically most people can climb that easily. Uh, TriMet on the other hand, just decided not to do it. So opening day, right? Xavier and I are both trying to be optimistic, but riding that bus, they were just routinely having like a foot between the bus stop and the bus floor. And that slows down boarding. It's bad from an accessibility perspective. Mm -hmm. And so that was very frustrating on opening day, but it hasn't improved in the almost year since it opened. Riding it recently, there's still an enormous gap between the floor and the platform. Yeah. I think it you know, goes to show that Portland has so much process and so much bureaucracy with very little results. TriMet thinks of itself as a world-class transit system, right? It's not thinking of itself as like this rinky-dink suburban bus system the way C-Tran does. Uh, if you listen into TriMet board meetings ever, they often will refer to TriMet as a world-class transit agency, but like basic features of a enhanced bus, like level boarding, like not getting stuck at a railroad crossing. It's those little things that you would not see at a true world-class transit agency, like in Copenhagen or like Busan. Like that's, that would be an unacceptable thing there, but TriMet just doesn't care. Well, we've talked about the FX2's failures and things that need improvement, but what good did it actually do overall? What did it benefit? So it did speed up service, especially in certain parts of the systems, especially on outer division on the small section of it that does have exclusive lane. Uh, I think we saw up to like a 20% a transit time reduction, which is huge. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's the difference between 
in some cases, you know, someone taking a job or not because the commute is or isn't too strenuous. Mm -hmm. And we actually did see an increase in ridership, though it's it's kind of hard to parse this with COVID and everything. Pre-pandemic, the Line 2 had about 9,000 daily riders. This time last year, before the conversion uh, to the FX2, it had about 4,000. And today it has six. This is despite the bus bunching and railroad crossing blockings. Yeah, the bus is coming on average every 12 minutes instead of every 15 when there isn't these chronic delays. Mm -hmm. It is faster, it has a much higher capacity, and it's a lot more enjoyable to ride, especially like if you have a bike. You're no longer having to load it on the front, you can bring it on the vehicle itself. That is if you can take the high stepping to board the bus? Yeah. (laughs) I mean, they do have the ramp, but it slows the bus down. Okay. And really... And really, you know, East Portland, even though the bike lanes still aren't great, the bike lanes are chronically blocked, East Portland has more bike infrastructure now, and several major intersections have been protected. I don't want to completely bash this project, but... The protected intersections are phenomenal. I love those. (laughs) Totally. And so this project did do some good. But really more, I think, where the FX2's potential is, is not so much in this line, but, like, the lessons that could be learned and applied to other expansions. So, like, what specific aspects of this project made the bus faster? Well, one of them was consolidated stops. They're averaging a stop about every quarter mile, every third mile. In a BRT system, that would be, like, every half mile or a mile, but again, that's really not what was achieved here Mm -hmm. Um, but nonetheless by consolidating stops and improving the sidewalks along the corridor so people can actually get to the stops that's where like a lot of this budget actually went you know we got a lot out of it the bus goes does go appreciably faster in certain areas and so my hope would be you know TriMet sitting down and looking at this and saying okay what are the true advantageous features of this project and how could we implement them further on cheaper basically saying you know okay we kind of know what works and what doesn't now how can we apply that to the 12 you know the 12 goes down sandy a part of town that that does have more built-up pedestrian infrastructure and probably wouldn't need nearly as much of investment in bringing that up to compliance that could really stand to do with some stop consolidation. And in my mind, I don't think would necessarily need, you know, the big new fancy articulated buses. I think Mm -hmm. we could get away with just trying to have more frequent service supplement that extra capacity. So there's not gonna be an FX12 in the future, you think? I'd like there to be. I think that is like a, a, a good way is to just take the lessons of what worked from the FX2 and apply them like less expensively to other lines. Mm-hmm. I think that's a winning formula. I mean, Xavier and I have talked about this in the past, and we both kind of agree that what Tremet should do with the FX concept is not have it be this shiny, big-ticket project but make it into more of a long-term, slow build-out project where they just slowly upgrade a line at a time and just constantly be working on it. Maybe not super fast, but if you have an ongoing project, you, you learn how to do it better. You, 
learn new efficiencies. You have the same crews doing it continuously. They get better at their jobs. Mm -hmm. You can bring costs down if you keep doing it. Yeah, if you keep doing it and also just the onus is on TriMet at this point to take what take the flaws from the FX2 and just build on them and not make the same mistakes again and again, which we've sometimes seen in the past with other transportation services. Yeah, basically like moving away from doubling down on maybe the kind of ancillary elements of the project. So again, I understand that TriMet was in an unfortunate position here because in order to do that stop consolidation, they did have to upgrade the pedestrian infrastructure. They had to bring in these crossings to make it literally safe to cross the street. Um, That's where a lot of the budget on this went. Um, A lot of the budget also went to buying new buses, which ended up being recalled for several months after the unveiling. That appears to be fine now, but that was a very large part of the project is bringing in new fleet. I appreciate how the new fleet was able to, you know, add to service again, not having those bikes on the front of the bus, but rather inside them, being able to have all door boarding. But I mean, the gains that were made from this project were from transit signal priority, which all buses in the system are capable of doing, and stop consolidation, which more than anything else is a policy. You just close like every other stop. And that is something that you can both apply to like any line that runs along, you know, kind of the former streetcar corridor cheaply. And that's what, you know, we'd like to see on Sandy. That's what we'd like to see, you know, maybe on Hawthorne. For better or for worse, though, it looks like TriMet is kind of currently changing their vision to tackle two corridors next for the FX program. That's 82nd Avenue and TV Highway, which does have a very high ridership transit population due to the, you know, the mixed income, mixed race communities along that road. The same kind of going for 82nd. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'm optimistic about the 82nd project, but it's going to be an expensive one. Here's hoping uh, Pete Buttigieg will bestow upon Portland a billion dollars for it. <laughs> yeah. Well, there is some concern about whether or not we get bus lanes on that road. And we'll talk a little bit more about that in our 82nd Avenue episode, but I think it's one that really calls for it. Until then, guys, I think that's an episode of a podcast of a podcast so xavier bradley if the good people want to know more and find us outside of this where can they find you you can find me on the hub of scum and villainy twitter.com <laughs> under xavier d stickler that's fair all right bradley how about you i'm also on twitter but i am slowly migrating over to threads i've decided that zuckerberg's the better billionaire uh, you can find me at Bradley Bondi. Okay, cool. And you can find me on Instagram because I'm only really ever there these days at JKMDEM, J A Y K A Y E M D E M. If you'd like to keep up with the show, you can do so on PRP.FM as well as on Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, or pretty much wherever you get podcasts. You'll also be able to find full-length videos and graphics and slides alongside our episodes on YouTube at the channel Greater Greater Portland. 
For just $2 a month, you can help us in our mission of making Portland a better place to live, as well as get access to exclusive written works. And of course, you can listen to us live and in stereo on 99.1 FM, Portland Radio Project, every second and third Sundays at 4 p.m. Thank you for listening. From the Rose City, this has been Greater Greater Portland. Can we just go back to the first top of the intro? Let's for do sure. that. For sure, yeah. Okay. Um, you're <laughs> you're not even the one drinking a Lacroix. Directly no. into the mic. No, but my body doesn't like me these days. And that is the FX2, an enchanced transit bus line in Portland. Enchanced. 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 <laughs> so to. Take a look at how we got to the FX2. I think we need a touchly brief on, as always, you're in for a little history lesson. To touchly brief on. Is that what I said? You said touchly brief. Oh my god. Oh my god. A and A'll do excitedly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> You're so excited. <laughs>